Good morning and welcome to Windsor Road. My name is Jason Waddell. I'm the Family Life Minister here. And, and I wonder, um, as we've been thinking about our, our topic for this series, I wonder what is the most distant you've ever felt from God. I, I wonder if there's a time in your life that you look back at and you think, that is absolutely the most distant time that I ever felt from God. Maybe it was a, a big time of transition in your life. Or, or maybe it was a, a period of loss that you experienced. Maybe it was some kind of family crisis that you went through. But I wonder when it was that God felt the most distant for you. I know for us, it was several years ago. It was actually in the time that we moved here to Champaign. And uh, we, had, uh, we had lived in Colorado for three and a half years after growing up here in Illinois. And we moved out. Uh, and we were just kind of in a time where we felt like uh, it, it was time for us to come back here. And so uh, we're in this season. And we just, we absolutely felt like um, God was leading us back. But it was kind of an interesting time for us as a family because we had a two-year-old. And Elizabeth was eight months pregnant with uh, our second daughter. And so you can imagine that that made for kind of a stressful season uh, as we were looking to move. And so, you know, here we are. Uh, if any of you have traveled out west, you know, we're leaving. I mean, we're from the Midwest, so we know what corn looks like. We can appreciate that and everything. But we're moving from the most gorgeous place we have ever seen in our lives back to the Midwest, coming back to where family is and everything else. And we kind of develop some of those thoughts that maybe you've had before. Like, well, you know, God's just, we feel God's leading in this. So God's just going to make this an easy, smooth transition for us, right? We sense God nudging us in this direction. So it's just going to be great. You know, our house will sell like before we put it on the market or something. You know, it'll just kind of happen and fall into place. Everything will be perfect and easy. And we'll have this nice little fairy tale that, you know, we can put in like a coffee table book and tell people stories about how God took care of all the details the way we wanted them to for us. Well, if you've ever been through a time of transition in your life, it doesn't always happen quite that way, does it? We, uh, we made the decision in early December that we were uh, going to accept the position and come here to Windsor Road. So we listed our house when we got back out to Colorado. And then they had uh, a blizzard come in. And probably one of the worst snowfalls that they have had, I think, in decades there. So, I mean, we're talking like three, four foot snow drifts around. You know, we couldn't even take our two-year-old out. We thought we'd lose her in the snow. Okay, and so it was this crazy thing. And then as soon as that let up, they had another blizzard come through. And so, shockingly, people weren't out looking for houses. And so it took a while. And then we moved to Champaign. And we were incredibly, incredibly blessed that a couple who was in Florida let us stay at their house while they were out of town. But you know what it's like. Like when you get to the end of a pregnancy and there's ready to welcome a baby and you're kind of wanting to nest and all that, but you're not in your own place. And it kind of added everything. And, and we just kept dragging on and on and on. And the house wouldn't sell. And houses we were looking at here that we were crazy about were, were selling, were, you know, were going off the market, all that stuff. And I finally still remember there was a, there was a Tuesday that we were going to take uh, pictures for, uh, for bios that we were going to work on for the website at the time. And the day that the photographer photographer was going to come in and take my picture for the website was the day I just gotten a call from our realtor in Colorado that said we need to drop the price $5,000, which we knew meant that, you know, we were going to sell for below what we had paid for it. And it was just kind of this whole mess. Then you're trying to smile for a photographer, you know, who's coming in to take a picture and everything. And I remember throughout this entire process, I was just saying, why God, why? We feel like we're following you. We feel like we're doing what you have asked us to do. Why will things not happen in what we perceive to be the way that they should happen? 
And, and now, six and a half years later, we have a ton of perspective on that experience. Okay, it's much easier for us to look back now and realize, man, if the house had sold right away, we would have jumped in to a house that was definitely not the right one for us. Because what we were looking for at the time was just not what would have been good for us as a family. And, and I look at that experience, and if the house had sold right away, we wouldn't have learned about trusting God and about our lack of control and things going on in the universe. And we've had other friends who have gone through a similar experience, and we wouldn't have had the testimony to be able to be there and talk through things with other friends along the way if we hadn't gone through that. And I have to tell you, I don't know about you, but 10 times out of 10 in my life, I mean, to the letter, when, 10 times out of 10, when I feel that God was distant in an experience, I look back and find out it was me the entire time. <laughs> that I was the one who was, that I was the one who had this assumption about how things should go or how things should work for me or how everything should relate to me. Well, I remember uh, when I was a kid at my great-grandmother's house, I'd go over there sometimes after school, and at my great-grandmother's house, she had this, uh, this picture up on the wall of her kitchen. Okay, and it was, the, it was the Footprints poem. Maybe you've seen this before, okay? So the Footprints poem, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, you know, it'll have a cool little scene like this or whatever. And, you know, and it'll, it'll, it, it's basically this guy who had a dream, you know. And in the dream, he went and had a conversation with God where he was looking back at his life. And there were two sets of footprints, him walking with God all the way through his life. And then he looks back and he realizes that during some of the times that were the most trying, difficult times in his life, there's only one set of footprints. So he says to God, God, why would you leave me in the midst of those times when things, was, when things were the roughest for me at all? And in the poem, uh, God looks back at him and says, it was during those times, the toughest times in your life, that I carried you through. That's why there's only one set of footprints. So I'm a little kid reading this and I'm like, that is the lamest thing I have ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm this little kid thinking, that is stupid. That is so cheesy. What a, what a really lame beach picture thing, whatever stuff, okay? And it was just another year or two after that that my family kind of fell apart. And then, I don't know about you, but there were some rough years along the way in my teenage experience. And again, I don't know about you, but adult life hasn't been totally perfect along the way either. And I'm so thankful that those words were burned into my mind from a young age that God is taking care of us. God is watching over us. God cares about us through some of the very tough seasons of our life. So, what's, so we ask this question throughout the series. What's your picture of God? Okay, what is your picture of God? Because I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that your picture of God affects your relationship with him. Okay, the way you look at God, the way you perceive the things that God does in your life, those affect your relationship with him. We've been in the series we've called the Instagram life, you know, and how our pictures of God affect the way that we relate to him. And the first week we said, listen, if, if God is no more than your personal wish-granting genie in life that you just go through to ask for more and more and more things, you're going to miss out on the wish he wants to grant more than anything, which is for you to spend eternity with him. And last week, we talked about that if you see God as a critical judge and not a loving father, then you'll miss out on the relationship that he wants to have to guide you through life. And this week, we're talking about if we see God as some distant boss who just doesn't care about what's going on, then we will miss out on this engaged teacher that is watching over our daily growth. Well, throughout the series, we've asked people, we've said, hey, if you catch a picture on your phone, 
of, of something that reminds you of God's presence, and you're an Instagram user, okay? Take a picture of it, uh, hashtag Windsor Road, toss it on Instagram, and each week we'll come through, we'll collect some of those pictures, and we'll show them. So we've got a few more that we want to show. Uh, this one comes uh, to us from Michelle. I was just telling Michelle a minute ago, she takes some of the most incredible sunset pictures, uh, beautiful pictures of the clouds and skies. I just love them. So this is a picture from Michelle, um, with the clouds reminding her of God's presence. This is Tyler, uh, one of our worship leaders, uh, who took this picture of of the sun. Uh, We've got Erica. I love this one. A reminder of childlike faith. All right, that's Justin Craig, our children's director, showing us childlike faith during Wacky Wednesdays. I think that's awesome. Uh, We've got another one from Casey, one of our college students, who said we've got great views even in Illinois. And I I wanted to argue with her, but okay, we'll accept it, all right? Uh, This one comes from Topher, wading through words and thoughts in his journal. Got another one from Michelle. Oh, no, wait. Nope, nope, that's not it. We got, sorry, Michelle. That's not Michelle. (laughs) Woo! Is it hot up here? We've got one from user Matt, who is excited about the creator, in awe of the creator. How about this one from Michelle? That's yours, right? Okay. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We've got one from Holly, taken during communion here. Um, he broke himself and bled for me. Caitlin, one of our high school students who's heading off to college this fall. Newborn baby birds. I thought this was a great picture. Well done. Uh, Priscilla, who had just talked about peace and beauty, just kind of the serenity of spending some time worshiping God. We've got a user named Jason who seems to keep taking pictures of his food, right, and posting them up. I'm sorry, I keep making fun of that, but... Uh, this was, a, this was actually a morning for me at CIY where it was just, I just had this worship experience where it was like I just got to spend some time reading my Bible, spend some time enjoying coffee. And then I caught this one. This was uh, at CIY, just our teens, uh, Brandon, our student minister, worshiping together. It was just kind of an incredible thing. And here's the thing, okay, keep hashtagging Winds Road. If you're an Instagram user, keep hashtagging photos that remind you of God on, uh, uh, on, on Instagram because we're going to continue, even after this series is over today, uh, we're going to actually have a spot on the new website where, where things that you hashtag Windsor Road will head there. Um, and it'll just be a kind of a cool experience for us to be able to have some interaction together. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today, all right? We're going to look at one of my favorite stories from the book of John. We're in John chapter 4. If you've got uh, one of the Bibles uh, in a chair in front of you, we're on page 888, which is actually the same page we were on last week. So, you know, if you left like uh, a gum wrapper in there or something as a bookmark, then it'll be right there for you. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth, uh, fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although uh, Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's an interesting statement there, okay, because the answer is actually no, he didn't. Okay, he did not actually have to pass through Samaria. Okay, this was absolutely not the route that a Jew in the first century would take if you were going from Jerusalem up to Galilee. All right, now quick history lesson here. All right, so in, in the Old Testament, you know, we've got uh, the kings, uh, David and Solomon. And after David and Solomon, we've got lists and lists and lists of kings. 
And there are a few bright spots along the way where a king would bring people back, would bring the Israelites back to following God. But if you spend much time in the books, First and Second Kings, and you read about the kings, you're going to see over and over and over again, this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord and led the people astray. And you're going to see that over and over again uh, in the Old Testament. So in the midst of all that, another group of people, the Assyrians, come in and attack the northern kingdom of Israel. And what happens is when they come in and attack Israel, they kind of repopulate the area with people who've come in from all kinds of different areas. And so you've still got some of God's people there who are devout and who are following, but then you've got other groups called, you know, we call them the Samaritans, uh, other people who are kind of mixing in different thoughts. And so for the Jews, they followed the entire Old Testament. You know, the first five books, the law, and then, and then the history books, and then the prophets and everything else. But the Samaritans only follow the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch or the law. And so there's a pretty big kind of rivalry going on between them. Add to that the fact that they pick different places as their, their sacred kind of worship type place. And there are times when one group needs help from the other and they don't come in to help. So there's pretty significant animosity between Jews and Samaritans in the first century. Now because of this, we actually have a map here we'll show you. Let's see if I get this pointer right. Okay, so here's Jesus is down here in Jerusalem. Okay, now you can see the quickest route to go up to Galilee in the top would be through Samaria. Because of this rivalry, uh, a Jew would never, ever, ever want to go through there. So they'd actually work their way over here uh, east and head to the Jordan River and then kind of skirt around and go. The only reason, the only reason that a good, devout Jew in the first century would want to go through Samaria is if he had a purpose in mind. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. So he came to a town... uh, of Samaria called Sychar, or we also call that Shechem, but Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now this is, so this is Jacob's well, and and this is one of those, if, if you ever go and do a tour of the Holy Land, and I'm certainly hoping I get to do something like that someday, if you ever get to go and do a tour of the Holy Land, this is one of those must-see sites, okay? Because wells don't change their location over time, right? So the well is still there. This is one of those sites where you know you can go. And if you walk around this well, you were in a spot where Jesus was absolutely for sure. That is a place that you can be, and I think that would be an incredible experience for us. Well, there would have been, you know, kind of a little wall around the well where Jesus could come and sit down. And this, this time, it says it was the sixth hour. Okay, they counted their days from 6 a.m. So this would be about noon. And that's going to be a, a pretty important thing here. Because in the first century world, women were the ones who went and drew water. They were the ones who took care of those kinds of household chores. And so, if you live in one of the most arid places in the world, when would you go to draw water? Would you pick the hottest time of the entire day? Probably not, right? You'd probably go in the morning or in the evening. And that kind of became a time for socializing for women who didn't have a lot of rights, who didn't get out of the house a lot, those kinds of things. They would go and spend time with other women. The only kind of woman who would want to go to the well at noon would be the kind of woman who didn't want to see any other women while she was there, which gives us a little bit of a setting for where, where she's at and what's going to happen here. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then we get this little note, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, all right? Okay, there's no reason that Jesus should be interacting, should be interacting with this woman. He's a male, He's single. He's a Jew. He's a teacher. He has a solid reputation. All, for all these reasons, he should not be. He's breaking significant cultural norms by interacting with her. And I wonder, even for us today, I wonder if there are cultural norms or expectations of others that limit our ability to be used by God. I, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if there are people, even in your own neighborhood, that you have opportunities to talk to, but you don't because of some kind of other thing going on in your mind, because they're different. I wonder if there are conversations you wouldn't even consider having with people because they're uncomfortable. I wonder if there are places that God's just going to have to send someone else in our community because you wouldn't go there. I wonder if there are whole segments of our community that go unreached, Because for Christians, sometimes it's easier to stay in our own little huddles than to go into places that make us less comfortable and start a conversation. I remember a couple years ago, uh, I was at a conference with some friends. And uh, we decided, we stayed over Sunday, and we were going to go and, uh, and, and visit a church. And we decided, let's go for a, just a totally different church experience than what we typically have uh, at our churches. And so we went, and, uh, and we ended up at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, which some of you might know, that's the church that Martin Luther King Jr. grew up at. That's the church that his dad was a pastor at. And we had this just incredible visit there. And Martin Luther King Jr. is one of my heroes. love everything that, that he has written. I love listening to uh, speeches, recorded of his, all that kind of stuff. I just absolutely eat it up, any of it that I can get. So we got to go there and visit the church, and we got to go there and see where he uh, and Coretta Scott King are, are entombed, and we got to go to the museum. It was, just, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. So I get home, and all I want to do is tell my family or anyone else who will listen about the experience, okay? Our daughters at that time would have been four and six. And so I begin telling them about how cool this was and how I got to go to the you know, site where one of my heroes and all this other kind of stuff. Well, I realize if I'm going to explain it to them, I got to kind of give them a little bit of a primer on segregation, right? So I begin trying to explain that to my daughters. And I stand, I, you know, I think it was a tremendous, I think it was just a brilliant history lesson, okay? But after about five minutes of this, they're looking at me like I'm from another planet, okay? Because our two sweet little six and four-year-old daughters at the time could not possibly process the idea that any one person would think less of another person because of the color of their skin. Okay, that just seemed like, a, like a, such a foreign, strange idea to them that they couldn't even figure out what I was talking about. And obviously, there's some pride wrapped up into that for me as a dad that our daughters just don't see the world that way. But I wonder if somewhere between the innocence of our childhood and the demands of adulthood, I wonder if somewhere along the way, something changes in how we perceive others. Because isn't that a huge topic of conversation in our country today, right now, about our perceptions of others and how those lead to our actions? And I wonder if it affects you as well on some level. But Jesus doesn't seem to have much time for cultural norms, for expectations of others. He dives in and has this conversation. Let's continue on, verse 10. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would, give, would have given you living water. Now, this kind of begins very interesting conversation because Jesus is going to try to get her to think big picture about things in this situation. And she's just going to consistently kind of hear the literal things that he says and jump on each of those along the way. So he uses this term living water. Well, for them, this term living water would have referred to water that's moving, okay? A river, a stream, a spring, something like that, okay? Water that was in a cistern or a well or something was not living water. It was not moving. And in fact, living water was what was used in purification practices and worship practices and everything else, okay? But there's a problem. There's no living water here in this area in Sikar or Shechem. Um, there, there just isn't any river or spring or anything like that. And so this misunderstanding begins where she's going to, you know, he's going to say, you need living water. And she's going to go, uh, you're crazy. Do you not know that there isn't any here? So verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, do you have nothing to draw water with? And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Catch that? She's pretty interested in this. He says, you can have water that will make you not be thirsty again. And she says, oh, please, Please give me water so I don't have to come back to this well and be embarrassed in front of all these people anymore. Please show me what you're talking about with this living water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So imagine the embarrassment. Okay, of hearing your deepest, darkest sins in the world called out loud. Okay, let's fast forward to the end of the service. You know, we have a great worship experience here. Okay, we're out in the lobby, and you walk up to me, and you say to me, you know, Jason, I, I could really use a little bit of budgeting advice. Could you help me? And I say, you are right, you need budgeting advice. You know, and you're like, shh, shh, shh. You know, I came to you quietly in the lobby, shh, shh. You know, but I say, yeah, you're right, you need budgeting advice. You've got two mortgages on your house, and you've got three payday loans out, and you're not even sure how you're going to make the minimum payment on your credit card by the end of this week. Imagine how the conversation would go between us, okay? Or I move on from that conversation, and anyone else wants to talk to me, okay? I move on from that conversation, and someone walks up and says, man, I, you know, I just, I really need, I really need to set better boundaries when it comes to my eyes, and I say, oh yeah, yeah, you're right, you need to set better boundaries. You know, you watch 40 hours of pornography throughout the month on, on three different websites that you have subscriptions to that you pay for with a credit card your wife doesn't even know you have, you know, and you're of course like, uh-oh. <laughs> or imagine somebody else walks up to me after that and they say, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to figure out a way, a, a better way to honor my husband with my thought life. And I say, no kidding, no kidding. You know, you, you read two to three romance novels a week. And that has desensitized you to the point that, that you've started having an inappropriate text conversation with the guy in the next cubicle. And, and now he's starting to be serious and make advances and you don't know what you're going to do. You're right. You need to figure out a better way to honor your husband. 
Okay, my guess is if you sat and listened to your worst sins in life being called out publicly, it would probably change the nature of our conversation, would it not? It would be a startling experience for you. And imagine it is for this woman to hear this. Okay, well, what makes things tougher for her is that divorce laws in a very patriarchal first century world are totally skewed towards men. Okay, divorce laws are completely set up for men. You got back in the Old Testament, you know, Moses actually uh, permitted a man to divorce his wife, but he had to offer her a certificate of divorce. Okay, and, and what Moses was trying to do was actually to protect women, to give them some amount of right, to say you couldn't just be kicked out of the house. You actually had to have some kind of certificate if you were going to have to leave the house or whatever else. And, and he's trying to protect, but what do we do with rules oftentimes? We make them, well, all I have to do is issue a certificate or whatever. The Romans of the day very frequently had a wife at home and a mistress out for social events, places like that. Okay, so you get the picture here. Even the Jews, even God's people uh, followed a couple of different rabbis, and there were more conservative rabbis, and there were more liberal rabbis. And one of the more liberal-thinking rabbis, uh, Hillel, uh, actually said, you know, he would permit people to divorce their wife if she burned supper. Okay, so women did not have a lot of protection here. There are few options. If one man said you weren't good enough for him, the rest didn't want to find out what you were like. All right, there are not a lot of options for her. It is likely, well, it, it's obvious that five divorces would have made her a laughingstock. And it's likely she's only with this last guy so she doesn't starve. I mean, here she is. This is her last, last possible chance in her mind probably You know, he gets what he wants and she gets to live. Whatever kind of existence that she lives in, uh, having to draw water at the hottest part of the day. And after this, she realizes Jesus must be some kind of prophet. And so she begins asking him questions about where they can worship and and all these different things. She's got questions for him. They kind of go back and forth. We'll skip down to verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You get that? The disciples are like, we probably should ask, but we're not gonna. Um, so So the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. I, I sometimes read that with a little bit of cynicism. Do you ever think that the people in the village were like, uh, yeah, we already know what you did, what you've done. We know all of it. Okay, but she says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. That's that word Christ again that we talked about a couple weeks ago. You know, God's people were expecting, because it had been prophesied in the Old Testament, they were expecting a Messiah. That's the Old Testament word. New Testament word is Christ. They were expecting this one who would come and save them. But Samaritans, remember, didn't believe the rest of the Old Testament. They didn't follow it. So this is a big shift for her to walk around and say, could this be the Christ? You know, she's saying to all of her fellow Samaritans, hey, maybe those Israelites had something going on. Maybe they figured it out, and maybe that one is standing here at the well. Come out and listen to him talk. Well, interest builds, and people want to know more. We skip down to verse 39. Here's what it says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days. Excuse me. And many more believed because of his word. They came to the woman and said, uh, they came to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, this woman's testimony gets people interested in hearing more about Jesus. 
And, and if you keep reading, um, Jesus' teachings in this area plant seeds. If you keep reading and you get into the book of Acts, you'll find in Acts 8, there's a guy named Philip who goes into Samaria and has this incredible ministry success while he's in Samaria. And we can trace that back to this experience that, that Jesus went through Samaria and had conversations with this woman and others in this town. So again, we come back to this question. What is your picture of God? What's your picture of God? And how does it affect your relationship with him? See, for this Samaritan woman, her picture of God is this this distant, boss-like figure who's uninvolved in her life, who doesn't care about what's going on for her. Life was miserable. Can you possibly imagine that she felt like anyone cared about her at all with the existence that she has? Five men had said she wasn't worth it. Uh, it it probably, imagine hope just seems like a dream. And Jesus steps into that as an engaged teacher who cares about what is going on in her heart. Listen, if God feels distant for you, if God feels distant, it's not because he loves you any less. If God feels distant for you in the season that you are in in life, it is not because he has kicked you to the curb and he doesn't care anymore. If God feels distant right now, it is not because your sin is the worst sin that God has ever seen. I guarantee it. If God feels distant, it's because you moved. So come back to him. The band's going to come forward here, and they're going to play a a cool song. And then we're going to have this kind of cool spoken word element. And after those two things will be the coolest moment in our entire worship service, which is communion. Communion is an opportunity each week for us to come back to God. It's an opportunity, no matter where you've been, what you've done, what's been going on in your life, it is an opportunity to come back to him. And maybe if this was the best week of your year and you and God are in a great place, awesome. Ask God where he wants to send you out. But listen, God, God will be as engaged in your daily growth as you let him be. So what are you waiting for? Why are you fighting for control against the one who controls the entire universe? God wants to be as involved in your daily growth as you will let him be. Let's pray. God, we know, we know in our heads that you love us and you care for us. We're here because we want to experience that. And yet, God, sometimes we feel so distant from you. That sometimes hope just kind of seems like a far-off dream. God, help us. Wrap us up in your arms. God, may we know that you are an engaged teacher who wants to be involved in our growth, in our life. He is here. He's right here. In this room, in your heart. He is near, nearer than breath heartbeat nearer than you are to you, closer than second chance or next opportunity, closer than today or yesterday. He is real, more real 
than joy, peace, pain, sorrow, or the love of being in love. He's more real than reality. He is our reality. He is present like space, wind, time, silence, night. He is waiting like creation, like words on the tip of tongue, like songs that have yet to be sung. He is beauty in oranges, blues, every hue, every shade, sunrise and sunset, whisper his name. He is holy, cannot be touched, explained like sweet sentence of prayer, like grandmother on knees, wood floor bare. He is old hymns, extending of limbs, stretched across trees, stripes to heal disease. He is sun, distinctly three, distinctly one, the only one, the only wise, the only resurrector of lives. He is king. And no earthly throne can house him. No amount of elegant words can espouse him. In moment and voice, power of choice, in word, in deed, in fruit, in seed, nailed hands, nailed feet, innocent wounds that bleed. He is believe. He is all. He is call and purpose. Everything that we can sacrifice, he is worth it and more, much more, much more. Our good deeds are mere pennies. Will never even the score. He is behold and wow. He is who, what, when, why, how. He is the one who puts on the show. He is the one that we come to see. He is soul's cry and sinner's plea. He is the epitome that no one can light a candle to or come within a million for pull of. He is above. He is the father of love, maker of waves, of earth and sea, ancient of days. Has no fear. Have no fear. Have no fear. Have no fear. Our God is here.